Well, good evening. And here you are on time. Everybody else who comes in, we can't say that about, but here you are on time. We're glad you're here tonight. We're going to be studying tonight the book of Amos. But before we begin, I would like for us to have a special prayer. I don't know that I've done this before, just this way, but um, there are three families who are um, associated with our church, and I won't give any more details than that. It's just that they, they are associated. They're not necessarily uh, members, although some are, but we have uh, three families, and I was thinking... Um, after you've been somewhere for 20 years, you find yourself being a pastor to a lot of people that don't come to this church, people in the community and people you've gotten acquainted with and, and some people who've come and gone for various reasons and whatever. Um, so when I give these requests, uh, don't waste your time trying to figure out who it is. Just join with me in prayer if you don't mind. But there are three families that are connected, have connections to our church, young families with young children who are going through uh, brutal custody battles. Uh, you know, mom wants the kids, dad wants the kids, and it's splitting families apart. Um, and I would like for us just to, because God knows who they are, and it would be a wonderful thing if the Lord would just intervene in all three of these situations. And um, uh, one family we've been dealing with for several weeks already. One family came to me at church Sunday morning and shared that with me uh, about um, that another family and then a third one tonight. And I would like for us to, to just... Believe the Lord and bind the devil and ask for resolution um, in, in these situations. Um, I'm not smart enough to know all the time exactly what needs to be done. But I do know this. The Lord teaches us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done, right? And he understands. He sees the end from the beginning. So here's three families with uh, several children involved, and um, we just pray for a um, peaceful resolution that would be the Lord's will. Would you join with me in prayer, if you don't mind? Lord, we thank you tonight for your mercy and your grace, for your love. You're a God who loves us more than we can imagine you're a God who is faithful to us in all the seasons of our lives, the things that we go through. Oh Lord, we're just lifting up to you these three families that are in some way connected with our church. And we're praying, Lord, that you would minister to them. Marriages have been um, dissolved or broken up and families have been broken up and and there's hurt and bitterness and uh, sometimes a spirit of uh, being uncooperative, even to the detriment of the children. So we're asking, Lord, tonight for divine intervention. 
We're praying that you would minister in these situations, that you would bathe each of these three situations with grace, mercy, love. Help them to see, Lord, how foolish it is to fight and be disagreeable. Lord, above all, we're praying that you would minister in the hearts and lives of these parents. Lord, that you would bring softness and tenderness to their hearts. Allow them to to be led by you, even if they don't realize that's what's happening. Take control of these situations and cause it to be so that when all is said and done, your perfect will has prevailed, Lord, as it relates to these children. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow your kingdom to come in these families, that you would heal hurts and forgive sin and protect these precious children. Lord, we have a heart for children in this church. We love children in this church. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be merciful to them and allow their parents to work things out in such a way, Lord, that the children can grow and grow healthy physically as well as spiritually to honor you and love you, to be committed to you and have your way in their lives, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you tonight because our prayers have been heard. This has not been wasted time. We're binding together in agreement tonight. And Lord, we bind the devil tonight who would tend to bring disruption into these families and keep things stirred up. Oh Lord, we bind that spirit tonight and we ask for miracles. We ask for resolution. We ask that you would minister in these families. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, Amos, what a man Amos was. I told somebody earlier, not Amos and Andy. Remember that? Anybody remember Amos and Andy? That's been a long, long time since I've thought about Amos and Andy until I've been studying this week in this book of the Bible. So we're going to study um, tonight this book. I was thinking a little earlier this afternoon um, I love the Bible. You all know I love the Bible. There's no doubt about that. So what I'm about to say, I'm not saying it in a disparaging way, but I'm saying it to make a point. When you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, it's almost like a broken record. The message is repeated over and over and over in all the prophets. My people have left me and gone after idols. You need to return and come back. If you don't come back, there's going to be judgment. And you hear that over and over and over from all the prophets. Tonight, Amos is no different. It's the same as Joel and Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah and um, some of the others. So um, tonight this is like another story, um, but with the same, same plot, same truth, same problem, same promises as we've heard before. A lot of it will not be new. But Amos himself, the, the one who 
received this prophecy from the Lord is one that we haven't talked about before. If you look in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Amos, we read these words. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, there's quite a lot in that one verse there uh, as far as understanding what's happening here in the book of Amos, I think, that we need to stop and talk about for just a moment. First of all, the man Amos. Amos was not um, from royalty, as was Isaiah. Amos was not a priest, as was Jeremiah. Amos was, this sticks in my mind from my days in college, and that's been a long time ago. Amos was a fig picker. I don't know why that sticks in my mind, but Amos was a fig picker. He was a herdsman, as you read there in um, verse 1, a sheep breeder. But when you turn over to chapter 7, verse 14, which possibly we'll look at if we have time later, um, Amos says, I was no prophet earlier. I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet. But I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. That is in the family of the figs. So he's known as a fig picker and a herdsman. He's a farmer. He's uh, just an average guy. He didn't have great credentials. Um, his family wasn't famous or rich. He's just an average guy, just like you or me. And the Lord put his hand on him and said, I've got something I want you to do. One thing that's interesting to me is that somebody tell me from verse 1 where he was from. Where was he from? Tekoa. Tekoa is near Jerusalem, about 12 miles away. So i just get you thinking with me here. If, if, if Tekoa was in Jerusalem, or about 12 miles from Jerusalem, which kingdom was Tekoa in? Judah or Israel? In Judah. Because Jerusalem is over here in Judah. This is the southern kingdom, and Israel is the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem is over here in Judah. Tekoa is near Judah, so we understand that Amos was from Judah, but he was called to be a prophet to who? What's the verse say? Concerning Israel. He's going to be a prophet concerning Israel. So although he, he's from Judah... And Jerusalem area, the Lord calls him and sends him over here with a message for these people. Does that raise any red flags for anybody? Might that be problematic in somebody's mind? Who are you coming over here to tell us? 
As a matter of fact, we're going to read in a few moments. Somebody told him, why don't you just shut up and go back to Judah? You got no business coming here telling us how to live. If you want to prophesy, go back there and prophesy. And we'll read where he was told that. So very early on, we find out that he begins his ministry as a prophet. It's two years before the great earthquake that history talks about in certain places. And the Bible says he begins his prophecy this way. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. So immediately, what is the tone? What is the tone of the message that Amos has? When he begins this way, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Is this going to be a feel-good prophecy? Pat you on the back, give you a hug? <laughs> Probably not, because we understand right quick he's, he started out with this, with this introduction here. If you'll notice in verse 1, and you see a lot of this in the prophets, thus says the Lord. There's a judgment on the nations that Amos begins with. If you'll look at verse 3, it says, Thus says the Lord, for, the, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron. Um, and he tells them they're going to pay for that. That's going to cost them for having been guilty of that. So he says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Then in verse 6, he goes to another group of people. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. Then when you get to verse 9, there's another, thus says the Lord. And he says, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom. When you get to verse 11, another one, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because he pursued his brother with the sword. You get to verse 13. We see it again. For three transgressions of the people of Ammon. And for four. I will not turn away its punishment. Because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead. That they might enlarge their territory. Chapter 2 verse 1. You see it again. For thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. So what we have read there is, what was it, five, six? There's uh, Damascus and Gaza and Tyre and Edom and Ammon and Moab. You got six groups of people, six nations, if you will, there. That the Lord is pronouncing judgment on. Does everybody see that? He says for three transgressions and for four. Now that's, we don't talk like that today. But Bible teachers seem to agree that what's being said here is you've had three warnings and you didn't listen. 
The fourth one is going to get you. No more warnings. The hammer's going to drop. For three transgressions, I kind of let this slip with a warning. This time, judgment's going to fall. That's the idea here, that judgment is coming. So, if now, how many of those nations, or watch this now, in quotes I mean, quote, God's people. How many of those nations I mentioned were God's people? None of them. None of them. But God, in his sovereignty, in his power, said, I'm going to judge each one of you nations for how you treated my children, my people, at different stages throughout history. I'm going to bring judgment on you. Now, my question to you as we began this tonight, if God judged them, do you think he's going to let his own people slide? No, not at all. So the next, thus says the Lord, is concerning Judah. How does Judah differ from the ones we've talked about before? I'm sorry? This is God's people. Now we're moving to God's people. And this judgment is coming concerning them. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Why is he going to punish Judah? Because they have despised the law of the Lord, and have not kept his commandments. Their lies led them astray. Lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Wow. Somebody tell me, how does Judah differ from Israel? This is just review of what we've talked about before, but it's always good to reinforce that and get it in our minds. How does Judah differ from Israel? What about Israel? Who were they? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like that. One of the boys. They're, they're hard to keep straight, aren't they? Jeroboam and Rehoboam. But, but absolutely true. The ten tribes were here. Two of the tribes are here. Judah was God's people. So these people, these people were God's people too. They just split. The kingdom split. You had the northern kingdom, which is Israel, ten tribes. You had Judah, which was uh, the southern tribe, and they were God's people as well. Chosen by God, as we're going to talk about in just a few moments. Before we do that, however, let's go to verse 6 in chapter 2, where now we're going to be talking about Israel instead of Judah. Thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Now, before, before we go any farther than that, somebody go back to verse 1 and tell me who this prophecy is for primarily that Amos is writing about. It's about Israel. And so everything we read from this point on in the book of Amos is going to be applicable to Israel. It's directed at them. He, he took care of Moab and Ammon and all those other nations in chapter 1 in a quick sort of a way. 
Then he talks about judgment on Judah. Now he's turning his attention. God is, and I say God because God's the one who's giving the words. Um, Amos is just a messenger. So now, thus says the Lord, remember now in verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four. And we talked about how that this indicates they had warnings. They didn't listen. They were given second chances, perhaps third chances, perhaps a whole lot more than that. But the Lord says, no more. The hammer's getting ready to fall. Punishment's coming. Before we start working through these, because it is a rather lengthy dissertation that he makes there about the judgment that's going to come on Israel, I want to read to you this passage of Scripture from 1 Peter 4, verse 17. Because I wouldn't, wouldn't think it wise to just ignore this application as well. Peter said, For the time has come, for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. I'm going to read verse 17 again. I want us to talk about this. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins first with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Some people tend to think that God's people are going to get a get-out-of-jail-free card. It ain't going to happen, is it? We, we have our sins forgiven... We have our sins forgiven, our slate is wiped clean. As individuals, we experience the grace of God and His forgiveness. Uh, it is true that our sins are, 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 are cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness, as the song says, this, are to be remembered no more, as the Scripture says. All that is true. But let me ask you this. Um, well, let's do it this way. Among God's people... Judah, was there sin? Was there? Among God's people, Israel, was there sin? Among God's people, the church of today, is there sin? Yes. I'm always, I shouldn't be amused, but I just the way it was worded in Scripture has always kind of tickled me. That the Apostle Paul writes to the church... Would you say the church? The Apostle Paul writes to the church, and you know what he says? Put away lying. And I'm thinking, why? Why would the Apostle Paul have to say to the church, put away lying? Because there was some lying going on in the church. And that same principle is true with many other sins that he talked about. Shouldn't be there. They're there sometimes. So, when we understand that there was some people sinning in Judah, there's some people sinning in Israel, and right now there's some people sinning in the church as a whole. Back in the 
Old Testament, some of us, especially preachers, have used this phrase because it's a scriptural phrase, and the phrase comes from um, Achan's sin, where he stole something or hid something that was stolen when the Lord told him not to take anything, and he took some of it, and they were punished horribly for that by God. And you'll remember this phrase, perhaps, there's sin in the camp, right? Well, quite frankly, there's sin in the church today. There's coming a time when there won't be any sin in the church, right? Because the Bible says that he's coming after church that's clean and made herself ready. And, and all of that has been taken care of. The Lord has a way of purifying his people. The Lord has a way of cleaning things up. And um, so the Bible tells us that the time has come that judgment began at the house of God. My point being that the Lord is not going to excuse sin among his people any more today than he did then. So sin has got a what? It's got to go. Thank you. It's just that simple. Sin's got to go. Out of our lives, sin has to go. Whatever that sin is, if the Bible calls it sin, it's got to go. And the Lord's going to use whatever method he has to use to purify and cleanse us so that all those things are, are, are gone. And so the Bible says, as I read just a moment ago, let me get it right here in this context. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. Sometimes our hardships are designed to cause us to turn to God. You've heard me say a lot of times when trouble comes into our lives, we can respond in one of two ways. We can either allow that trial to draw us near to the Lord. Well, I wish we had time to sing that song right now. Draw me nearer, 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 precious Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Troubles can cause us to draw nearer to the Lord, or troubles can do what? Cause us to stay home from church, get mad, turn on God, have an attitude, all those kinds of things. So it's up to us how we respond, but the Lord wants to cleanse us and purify us. He wants to help us because he loves us because we are his people. So he's not going to excuse those things in us either. So we're just not reading... Um, an irrelevant um, passage that's ancient that has no bearing on our lives. This has as much bearing for us as it did for them. As a matter of fact, it's written for our benefit, the Bible says. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And all the scripture is profitable and good. And so that's why we study God's word. Chapter 2, verse 6, thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. No more chances. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor and pervert the way of the humble. In other words, they're taking advantage of poor people and who people who can't help themselves. A man and his father go in to the same girl to defile my holy name. Boy, you're talking about sin in the church. They lie down by every altar on clothes 
taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. That's God with a little g, if you'll notice. The Lord says in verse 13 of the same chapter, I am weighed down by you. I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. You ever seen a pickup truck carrying too much weight in the back of it? I see a pickup truck going down the road sometimes and it's got a big a pallet of bricks in the back of it. And the back of that truck squatting down like this and going down the road with the nose of the truck up in there, the hood up in there. It's too much. It's weighed down. Well, the Bible says that the Lord used that type of thinking when he said, I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. Therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of the foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked by the day, says the Lord. In other words, you are headed for a big time defeat. Chapter 3, verse 2, because we're trying to do this all in one night, we can't look at all the verses, as you know. Verse 2 of chapter 3 says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. I think most of us understand that being Abraham's seed and the promises that God made to Abraham and the, the rise of the children of Israel and the Lord had his hand upon them as he promised that he would. They were his covenant people. And that's what it's talking about there. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. In other words, I had a special relationship with you. You were mine. You were unique, as I've written there. You are, are special. You are, as the Old Testament, excuse me, as the New Testament would say in First Peter. Where is that passage? A, a holy. Well, I'll paperclip my Bible pages together. Some of you guys help me. You're a holy priesthood, a holy nation. Peculiar people. Remember that passage? That the Lord is talking to his people, talking to us actually now, but he's using that picture of the Old Testament that you are a holy nation. I've called you into myself. You're a holy nation, a unique people. King James Version says a peculiar people. It means a uniquely owned possession of the Lord. They, the children of Israel were his with a special relationship with him. But you know what? That did not allow him to turn his head and overlook their sin because he called them to holiness, didn't he? And so therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. 
And here, verse 3 is one. Boy, that just, just, yes. Thank you. 1 Peter 2, 9. Now that, now that we have it identified, let me read it. Well, no wonder I couldn't find it. I thought I highlighted it, and I didn't. So I was looking for the highlighted areas. Here it is. Thank you. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, that's descriptive of Israel in the Old Testament, but that's descriptive of us today as well. It's talking about us in that passage, in fact, about who we are. So, now listen. How many of you have heard this scripture quoted before? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? You heard that? I want you to look at that verse in context. Verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? And you know what? That passage is not talking about me and my brother in the Lord walking together. That passage is talking about me walking with God. Right? I've got to agree with God. I'm not going to ask him to agree with me, that's for sure. But I have to agree with him, which brings up another old song. Hand in hand with Jesus. What a song. And um, that's, that's the way the Lord wants us. He wants us to come alongside him and walk with him and agree with him. Because can two walk together unless they're agreed? So if, if we're obstinate, if we're stubborn, if we don't want to cooperate with him and his word and his plan and his will, then we're not going not to make much progress. Verses 7 and 8, Amos declares this after talking like he's been talking. He says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. I like that. He still does that today, by the way. We saw that in the text this past Sunday morning. Did we not? It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, male or female, doesn't matter, young or old, will dream dreams and see visions. God still talks to his people. Because he knows we need that type of affirmation in our hearts. And in our lives. Surely the Lord God does nothing. Unless he reveals his secret. To his servants the prophets. He says a lion has roared. Well what are you going to do. If a lion comes up behind you. And roars real loud. Have you ever heard a lion roar. My goodness. Joy and I were to a zoo several years ago. And we were as far as away as from here to the highway. I guess from a lion. And that thing roared and it shook the ground. It was unbelievable how a lion's roar could be so loud. And so the, the question is asked here. A lion has, it's not a question actually, the first part is a statement. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? Well, everybody's going to fear. That's obvious. 
So then the next statement is, the Lord God has spoken. And Amos says, who can but prophesy? If the Lord gives you a word, you're going to share it. Because that's what he's called to do. That's the natural response. Well, let's jump on into chapter 4 right quick. The Lord, in verse 2 of chapter 4 says, Behold, the days shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into harm, and says the Lord. And you think, what in the world is that about? Um, if you'd like, turn with me to Isaiah 37 right quick. Isaiah 37. There was a time when Assyria was threatening Israel. Going to come in and take over. And it wasn't the Lord's time. But they were ready. And so the Bible tells us about Hezekiah, how he went before the Lord and laid this out and prayed. And the Bible says in Isaiah 37, verse 21, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. Now, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is wanting to come in and take them captive. And, and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, and, and the Lord had heard his prayer. And you know what the Lord said to this king of Assyria? Look at verse 37. Because your rage against me and your tumult has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Sounds strange, doesn't it? Why would he say that? Well, the thing about it was when, when Assyria went in and conquered a group of people, they had a habit of doing that to their captives. Putting hooks in their nose or in their lips and making them walk in single file and holding them together. So what the Lord tells us in Amos chapter 4 Verse 2 is, Behold, the days shall come. It didn't happen in Isaiah's day, but it's getting ready to happen right here. He says, Behold, the days shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into harm, says the Lord. Judgment is coming. And it did come. Incidentally, as we look at this when it comes... When it comes to um, Judah, who was it that took them captive? Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. When it comes to Israel, who eventually took them captive? Assyria. We just read that where the prophecy said that that was going to happen. What happens when you get into prophecy and you start reading these things and you understand the kingdoms and the countries and the prophecies... You see everything unfolded just like God said it was going to. The prophets warned it was going to happen. They preached to the people it was going to happen. Sennacherib even jumped the gun on the Lord and said he's going to go ahead and do it. He thought it was a good idea, but it wasn't time. And he stopped and said, you're not going to do it. But later he did it when the time was right and when it was the will of the Lord. 
In chapter 4, verse 6, just to give a, a, this is kind of informative, I think at least. Israel did not accept the correction of the Lord here, again, of course. And he says, also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. What does that mean? Pardon me? That's exactly right. That's what it means. That's a strange way of wording it, isn't it? I gave you clean. How many of you, after you get through it, usually reach for a toothpick? Why do you do that? You'll clean your teeth. But you know what? If you don't have any food, you don't have to worry about that. And so the Bible says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. In other words, I punished you with no food. And lack of bread in all your palaces. Yet, now, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to, I'm going to read certain verses, but then I'm going to say, help me. And I want you to read the following verses, okay? When I stop and say, help me, you read what comes next. Verse 6 says, also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. And lack of bread in all your places, help me. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. And he says in verse 7, I also withheld rain from you when there were still three months to the harvest. And the latter part of verse 8, read it with me. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. In verse 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, the locusts devoured them, help me. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Verse 10, I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with the sword, along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils, help me. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Help me. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Do you get anything out of that? The Lord sent warning after warning after punishment after judgment. Did they listen? No. And he says over and over and over, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Verse 12 says... Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Now, who is this God? Verse 13 says, for behold, just look, he who forms mountains and creates wind, who declares to man what his thought is and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. Wow. Do you think, you think punishment, judgment is a bad thing or a good thing? If you're the one receiving it. It may be good for you. It may be good for you. Does it feel good? How bad can it be? Well, let's see. Chapter 5 verse 3 says, For thus says the Lord, The city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. Verse 4 says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. And we got 15 minutes. I mean, it doesn't say that in Scripture. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at my watch while I was trying to read. Verse 6 <laughs> Verse 6 says, seek the Lord and live. 
lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. Let's, let's talk about God again. In the midst of all this judgment and all this, all this that's happening and promised to the people, God wants them to understand that where this is coming from and who he is. In verse 8, I have forgotten how to pronounce that word. He made the, say again. I know the E is, is the long E. I looked that up and listened to it and I thought I had learned it before I came. Well, you see what it is. Does anybody know what that is? Yeah, it's, it's a constellation in the stars. God made it. God put it there. And Orion. We, we're, that's easier to pronounce. Orion's the soldier, like shooting a bow, and is characterized by three stars on his belt. When you look up in the sky at night, you can see that sometimes. These are, are constellations or, or, or things in the stars that have been recognized and seen for millennia. He made these. He turns the shadow of death into morning. He makes the day dark as night. He's going to do that here on the 21st, isn't he? He calls for the waters of the sea. He pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He reigns ruin among the strong. Listen, I know he's a good God. And I know he's a loving God. But listen to his word. He reigns ruin among the strong. So that the fury comes from the fortress. I was thinking one day this week about God. And um, I know God is good, and I know He's merciful. But you know what? When we read the Scripture, some of the things we read are intended to teach us to fear God. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we, whenever we get so blasé, so casual about our relationship with the Lord, that we no longer fear the Lord, is too casual. Because he reigns ruin upon the strong so that fury comes from his fortress. And we can walk in his blessings and in his favor when we walk in obedience to him and keep his commandments. But I'll tell you what, to think that he's going to bless and look over the intentional, habitual sin, it's just not going to happen because he's going to call us into account for that. Verse 18, we're talking now about the day of the Lord. We've done that a lot, especially last week in the book of Joel. Verse 18 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? It is not very dark. Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? And he says now, he's talking to his people. Listen to what he says. I hate. I hate. I despise your feast days. And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. 
Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried Sikath, your king, and he's talking about idol worship here now, and, and Chion, Chion, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Chapter 6, verse 1, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in the chief nation in whom the council of Israel comes. And let's just contemporize that right quick. Our faith and our hope and our trust is in God alone. Amen? Our Listen. You see where that says notable persons, chief and chief in the nation? Our, our confidence and our hope is not in the Republicans. And it's not in the Democrats. And it's not in Donald Trump or whoever else is the president. Our hope is in God. There's another hymn. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame the most beautiful words, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Well, I am having to hurry. Verse uh, Chapter 7, there's a vision of locusts. Did, did the Lord ever send a locust plague on his people? Yeah, we read about that last week, didn't we? Chapter 7, thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the Lord's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, now I want you to notice what we've just read. Don't jump the gun. This was a vision. Could everybody say vision? This was not reality here. This was a vision. And the Bible, and then the next thing, Amos says, I said, O Lord God, forgive, I pray, O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. And the Bible says in verse 3, the Lord relented concerning this. So he didn't send it. Then when you get down to verse 4, he had another vision. This is a vision of fire. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. But he cried out to the Lord, and verse 6 says, so the Lord relented concerning this, and he didn't send the fire. But then he comes to verse 7, the vision of the plumb line. Thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand, and the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I set a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass them by anymore. I'm not going to turn my head and walk through and ignore it anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. And judgment is coming. 
Well, when you preach that kind of message, what's going to happen? Everybody going to like it, right? No. And in this, of all the people, of all the people that you would have expected probably to at least have some openness to this man of God and his message, who got mad? The priest did. The next verse says, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, and he quotes some of the things Amos has said. And then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer. Flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy. But never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. What about that? It was, it was quote, the man of God. That's right. <laughs> but he sure was making a pretense of being a holy man, wasn't he? And he says, and then listen how Amos answered. Amos answered by saying to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. And do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Oh man, you got to watch out when a prophet says, thus says the Lord. Your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. You shall die in a defiled land. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. And then Amos has another vision. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. Now, may I say to you for the sake of time, when you read this about the summer fruit, don't think about, oh, it's summertime, the harvest is coming in, and we have this beautiful basket of apples and, and peaches, and it's all beautiful, basket of summer fruit. That's not what that's talking about here. A basket of summer fruit here is a basket of fruit that's reached the end. It's decaying. It's rotting. That's a basket of summer fruit. And he uses that picture, a basket of rotting fruit, to say in verse uh, 2, So I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come. The end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass them by anymore. He goes on to say in verse 3, many dead bodies everywhere. He goes on to say in verse 7, The Lord has spoken, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this, and everyone mourn who dwells in it? Well, for the sake of time, let's jump to verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. 
I hope this doesn't offend you, but for the sake of time and, and making a point, I'm going to go ahead and use this illustration. There is in Raleigh a church that is pastored by a lesbian. You see her on the news all the time. It's Pullen Park Baptist Church. And when I, when I read this passage of Scripture, I think about churches like that church and many other churches that have obviously, obviously departed from the Word of God. The Word of God means nothing. It can't mean anything. There can't be fear of God there when a lesbian, forget the woman part, I don't really have a problem with the woman part. Some of you saw a post I made this past week, Ann Graham Lott's tremendous message about these being the last times and, and so forth. Tremendous. So I don't have a problem. Don't, don't say what he's talking about. It's not the woman part. It's the lesbian part I'm talking about. And that is anti-biblical. And to go to a church where you're receiving this garbage from somebody who's spewing that all the time and refuses to acknowledge I'm going to tell you, they may not know it, but that church is in a famine of the Word of God. They're not getting it. That's right, not getting the truth. And that's just, I'm, don't be offended by that. That's just telling it like it is. I want to give context to what that means. The days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, we're there. There are places where you can hear the Word of God, and a lot of them. But there are a lot of places who hold this book and stand behind a desk on Sunday morning, and you're not going to hear the Word of God. You're going to hear something else. There have been times when the Word of God was plentiful. In other words, we had it, but we didn't want it. But this describes a time when they want it, but they can't find it. And what a sad time that is. And I think we'll close with one more verse, which is in chapter 9. Well, maybe more than one more verse just to uh, get context, but it's only a portion of one verse that I want to bring to your attention. Beginning at verse 11, it talks about how Israel will be restored. The story of God's people has a good, positive happy, blessed ending. Amen? Because his, his kingdom will be restored. And so we began reading in verse 11 of chapter 9. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and here's the phrase I wanted you to get. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Aren't you glad there's some Gentiles that are called by his name? Uh, that would happen to be us, by the way. <laughs> there might be some Jewish folks here. I know we have. I know we have. I'm aware of one who is of Jewish uh, descent who's attending our church. Um, I don't know of any others. Most of us aren't Jews. But that doesn't mean we're left out because God has made provision for us. And as I alluded to on Sunday morning in the book of Romans, I believe it is, 
it is talked about quite a bit how that the Lord has uh, an olive tree and the bad branches were taken out. And we, Gentiles, were grafted in. So we're part of that tree, part of God's people now. But the Lord would also say in that patch is, be careful that you're not taken out and they're put back in. The door is open to all. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever. Would you say whosoever? I don't know why I was thinking about this today, but there's a song that used to be sung in this church when I moved here. And what's so strange about it was I'd never heard it before until I moved here. And I don't know that we've sung it over one time since I've been here. But the, the title of it has stuck in my mind. It's Whosoever Meaneth Me. It's in the hymnal. I heard it once or twice. Whosoever, going back to that passage, it means me. It's talking about me. And it does. Aren't you glad? Thank you, Lord, for your word, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And oh, what, what joy we can have in our hearts and what blessedness there is in studying your word and having you open our eyes and illuminate our minds and help us to understand the glories of the things that you have for us as well, Lord, as the responsibilities, the obligations that we have to be obedient to you and how you will bless us for enduring to the end and being faithful. So grant that all of us who are here tonight, Lord, can commit our ways to you, understanding that we are living in the last days. That is a fact. How much longer we will be here, none of us knows, but we want to be ready. We want to be faithful. We want to be overcomers and endure to the end. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of a great and a wonderful future for the people of God. We love you tonight. Bless your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all for being here tonight.